with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world. At this time, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, helping you find your courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you'd like more information about me, or if you want to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit www.bbsradio.com forward slash Reclaiming Authenticity. www.radio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity and uh, these podcasts are are now broadcasted or I should say broadcasted in case you want to go back and listen again or you can go back into the archives and listen to previous shows and also these uh, broadcasts are now podcasted where you can download them on Audible and Amazon Music so happy to be with you here today And just to let you know that this is the last Friday afternoon broadcast, because starting on Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023, I will be moving to a new time slot beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So put that in your phone calendars and join me here on Wednesday, January the 4th at 9 p.m. And as I, uh, as always, each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show today, uh, the number is 888-627-6008. It's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. And now, for those of you who are turning into the tuning into the show for the very first time, just wanted to say welcome, welcome aboard, welcome to the show. Merry Christmas to one and all. Happy Hanukkah and Happy Kwanzaa. We are indeed out from day uh, from Christmas, and soon families and friends will be getting together to celebrate the holiday catch up with relationships, personal relationships, maybe professional relationships, and so forth. But um, it's something that uh, you've been following me now for a while. You know that um, one of the things I, I like to share is that it doesn't uh, even matter who we are or where we were born or into what family we were placed. Ours is a world that's just full of relationships personal relationships, professional relationships, and so forth, academic relationships, ecclesiastical relationships, and all that. And indeed, we are social beings. We often spend our lives trying to make sense out of the world or the culture that we have been placed, and we try to find our place in the world. And as social beings, it's often within this context of relationships that we often experience tremendous pain and suffering. These relationships let us down. These relationships might disappoint us, or maybe not. 
but it's also within the relationships where we experience tremendous pain and suffering. And this could be anything from overt acts of betrayal or cruelty that somebody has inflicted against us or vice versa, to simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And many people bear these scars, the physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual wounded. And yet, ironically, just as we experience our woundedness in relationships, also within the context of healthier relationships, that we can find our healing, our voice, our authenticity. And the difficulty then is often finding the courage to discover that which has always been in us. You know, our gifts, our graces, our skills, our uniqueness that we come into the world. Or as John Dunn Scotus, uh, the Scottish Franciscan in the 1300s, he coined the phrase hachetas, or uh, thisness. It means, um, let's say if your name is Tom, that uh, Tom, anybody could do what you are doing, but they can't do it like you because you have uh, thisness to yourself. Or Mary, you have a Maryness to you, and so on and so forth. Each and every is unique. And I'm also a firm believer that we come into this world with everything we need for ourselves and for others, but through various experiences, uh, we may have given away parts of ourselves, if not the whole of that uniqueness or that thisness. We become all used up, as it were. And perhaps we did this because we didn't feel as though we just simply couldn't live up to another person's expectation of us. Or perhaps we hid our uniqueness from others in order to survive abuse. Or perhaps those aspects of ourselves may have been taken away from us, and we just simply didn't have the strength to fight for them. Well, either way, when we become aware that we've done these things, it takes tremendous courage to then reclaim who we are. We can reclaim our voice, we can reclaim our uniqueness, and we can certainly reclaim our thisness. And this does take courage. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who once said, uh, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is than fear. And just in case you're wondering what reclaiming authenticity is all about, Reclaiming Authenticity focuses on the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And it's all within the context of these relationships, relationships we have with ourselves, others, and God or the divine. So uh, certainly, you know, I'd also like to say that uh, I'm also a firm believer that all of us come into the world already equipped and free as I said before, and uh, we certainly owe it to ourselves to find whatever it is and live from that uniqueness, live from that chaos. So, let's see. Well, we in the past couple of weeks, I just wanted to start off by saying I've, I've noticed that many people being overly stressed out for this particular Christmas season seems like the, the conversation I've been having with people all come back to this very same thing. 
uh, from running around trying to find that perfect present to place under the tree or even to find the right tree to uh, coordinate you know, meal preparations or coordinating travel schedules. It seems as though people's stress and anxiety levels appear to be at an all-time high compared to previous years. It seems as though somewhere in my conversation with others, I find myself wanting to say, well, yes, I admit that is, that is one crazy schedule. You are certainly busy. But when do you get a chance to relax? When do you get a chance to enjoy all of your hard work? You know, that sounds like a great time. But don't miss the joy and the gratitude of the season. So we can be so busy being prepared, um, you know, this Christmas season that we are just thoroughly exhausted. And we miss the joy because we're in a bad mood. Just had a fight with somebody. Or maybe something happened in Christmas, you know, long ago. Um, don't miss the joy, attitude of the season. And, you know, one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is A Charlie Brown Christmas. 1965, long time ago. It's third on the list for the most popular Christmas shows of all time, and I think that was from the Today Channel earlier this week. I heard that. And it's a, it's a very simple message. It's a message of a boy who searched for the real meaning of Christmas. Now, he tried to be happy for Christmas. He knew Christmas was coming. He liked getting presents and, and everything else in the snow and so forth, but to no avail. He was still sad. He was still depressed. He just couldn't get into the Christmas spirit. And everybody, all his friends, tried to tell him what he needed to do to find the spirit. Um, Lucy suggested that he of their school play. And no, um, nothing went right. Nobody listened to him. Until all of a sudden, Charlie Brown, he threw down his megaphone, just afraid of his frustration, and he just shouts, is there anybody who can tell me what Christmas is all about? And that's when Linus steps up to the mic, a little blanket in tow, and he quotes the Gospel of Luke. And there were shepherds in a field, keeping watch over the flocks by night. When lo, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were so afraid. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then he walks back over to Charlie Brown. Very calmly says, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And this is the first time in the show that Charlie Brown smiles because he has now found what his heart was searching for all along. Now, granted, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas is a TV cartoon. But how often do we find really deep truths? inside cartoon shows. Okay, how many of you have watched Aladdin? Or maybe The Lion King? 
or Encanto or Pinocchio or any others, you know, Frozen, Frozen Pooh, go down the list. And even though there are cartoons and, you know, so forth, they have a lot of just deep truth. Of course, we can't forget Dr. Suits and, and all the shows and, you know, um, that were on TV regarding different Dr. Seuss uh, tales. Have these deep underlying truths that just come out of nowhere and hit us with, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And it, they're presented to us in a way that really makes sense, that we can really take the heart. You know, when we find the real meaning of Christmas, we are reminded that all of us, that living in joy and living in peace and living in gratitude, not just for one day, but when we live from our souls, we experience these things there's depth to each one of these aspects once we place them in the context of relationships that I was talking about earlier. Because how we are with others is often how we are with ourselves and vice versa. And how we see others is often how we see ourselves. And unresolved, unhealed wounds distort how we view and interact with the world. You know, one of my favorite psychologists down through history um, in his work, The Analysis of the Self, uh, psychologist Heinz Kohut, uh, he defines the self as a person's psychological being, which consists of many different things, such as sensations, feelings, thoughts, attitudes towards oneself and the world. And according to his model of self-psychology, it was Kohut who understood that our ability to overcome many issues in our lives stem from an underdeveloped sense of who we are. Kohut understood that our inability to overcome these issues in our lives all came from this underdeveloped sense of who we are. Moreover, not only are we simply not aware of who we are, but also we're not aware of what these inner gifts and beauty and strengths that we possess. And unfortunately, the external objects in our lives have been substituted for what we really desire in relationships. Love, acceptance, peace, intimacy, nurturing, courage, and so forth. Go back and watch a Charlie Brown Christmas and you will see it in just a very simple but well-loved cartoon Christmas story. Now, you know, in order to develop a healthy self, a healthy sense of who we are, uh, at some point, uh, we're required to internalize the qualities of these external objects in our lives. Uh, for example, say that we grew up with a favorite stuffed animal or a toy. Uh, you know, maybe we got a favorite stuffed animal or a toy one Christmas. And it, from that point on, we learned the value of comfort and fun and companionship or everywhere we went, that stuffed animal went with us. Now, the reason why such an external object, like, say, this animal, 
um, the reason why that object connects with us because it meets this inner emotional and psychological need. Okay, and and this is normal, normal behavior in childhood. But yet, as we mature, we internalize these qualities. Now we've substituted the stuffed animal or the stuffed toy for a more meaningful, emotional, physical, and sexual intimacy and relationship with others. And if we're unable to do this, we're going to struggle to reciprocate these human qualities in meaningful, life-giving ways. Now, another fun movie out there, this is more like an adult movie here, uh, a more contemporary example of this struggle people face in moving from an underdeveloped sense of self toward a healthy self, it comes from the movie Ted. Okay? And um, I'm sure people out there have seen this movie Ted. Okay? In this film, uh, if you recall, uh, John Bennett, he was a 35-year-old man-child. And uh, he received his childhood wish in making his teddy bear, he called Ted, come to life. And growing up, Ted served as a great companion, a confidant, and it also provided unconditional love for John. Well, unfortunately, John never internalized these qualities that he received from Ted, and thus he struggled to find his relationship, namely with his girlfriend, Lori, about Ted always being around. So many people also look to these external objects in order to satisfy what I would call the inner stirrings of the soul, whether they are objects that provide some sort of pleasure or happiness or comfort, security or peace. They can never touch the cry of the soul consciousness that connects these objects are just simply poor substitutes on one level that serve to meet our emotional and or physical needs. Yet, the reason why we still cling to external objects is on one level, they work. Here's another example. Uh, alcohol is depressing, okay, and it calms emotional anxiety and stress. Cocaine, on the other hand, is a stimulant, and it boosts mental energy and physical And the sexual organs release the physiological sense of elation, and a lengthy workout releases endorphins and provides us with a just nice analgesic feeling. Yet, on the other hand, if we truly want to understand ourselves as souls, Going to have to learn that these external objects always point us to connect with a higher consciousness that transcends our emotional, psychological, and realms. In fact, as we listen to the cry of our soul, we realize our deepest desire is to connect or reconnect your sense of who we are. In fact, this cry of the soul is so powerful, so deafening at times that once we fully embrace ourselves, we're never going to be satisfied with anything else. Well, you know, years ago, uh, in one mental health office where I hung this framed quote from the family therapist here, 
and uh, Virginia Satir. He she lived um, 1916 and she died in 1988. And uh, her, her quote is this: "I want to love you without clutching, appreciate you without judging, join you without invading, invite you without demanding, leave you without guilt." Criticize you without blaming and help you without insulting. And if I can have the same from you, then we can truly meet other. Now, day after day, I, I pass by this quote, but I never really stopped to read it, let alone try to understand its impact on relationships, both within and outside of counseling relationships. So one day I was sitting there eating my lunch and I read and I reread that quote slowly. And, you know, I remember thinking to myself, this is a great saying. It's a powerful saying, but it's actually far too demanding. Too many conditions and changes would be required of people to reach this. In fact, I assumed it's so unrealistic to place this pressure on another person and to expect them to keep Well, in counseling and even pastoral settings, I've witnessed too many people, including myself, who are making excuses for not wanting to be in an authentic relationship. And we would say things like, and I'm never going to open my heart to anybody again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. She hurt my feelings, or let me down again. And even, God, you didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted you to answer them. And so on, and so on, and so forth. And yet, Satir's words pursued me like... And little did I realize that I was actually reading her goals for her own life. If she was born in 1916, and Virginia Satir was certainly ahead of her time. And, you know, instead of viewing humanity's problems as stemming from the popular belief in calling everything neurosis of the day, he believed problems were the result of how people were unprepared to cope with challenges because they dealt with every situation and relationship in life from a place of woundedness instead of a place of healing. And Satir believed that are equipped with capacity for this growth and transformation. And as a result, she not only dedicated themselves, but also empowered them to live more congruent, genuine lives. I have to tell you this. And and how I started to see myself. I started to see others and just striving towards authenticity and living from a place of wholeness, happiness, instead of a place of wounding. It all started with that. Well, I would really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So, again, if you would like to call in, uh, that number is 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. 
I'm your host, Dr. James Town. Be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I'm Dr. James Tuck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I just want to float a reminder out there to you that today is the last Friday afternoon broadcast because starting on Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023, I'm going to be moving to a new time slot beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So put that in your phone calendars and join me on Wednesday, January the 4th at 9 p.m. Very excited to uh, continue uh, reclaiming authenticity and um, have a new focus the show. It's going to be more of a focus of uh, what it means to live from your soul, a more soul conversation. And just how does this impact our relationships and understanding of who we are? Well, early in the show, I was uh, talking about not only a Charlie Brown Christmas and uh, how Charlie Brown was able to find happiness in his life after just filled with depression, despair, loneliness, and uh, how it all came together for him. It's a simple Christmas message, very transformational. And, you know, as I said, granted, it was a cartoon, but um, it does have an underlying meaning out there for Something that we can certainly take to heart, and uh, I've uh, been reminding people all along in conversations over the last couple of weeks that don't get so tied up in preparing for Christmas with everything that needs to get done that you miss out on the joy and gratitude and love of the Christmas season. So be kind to yourselves, be good to yourselves, uh, and. Uh, have a moment where you can and just say a silent prayer of just gratitude for everything that you have and everything you are, the people that are there in your lives. So I was also talking about how uh, Virginia Satir was certainly ahead of her time. And um, again, she grew up in, I don't say grew up, but she came up with more of like the psychodynamic approach to counseling, counseling therapy. And, um, you know, her viewpoint on just understanding humanity's problems uh, really didn't stem from the popular belief in her day that called everything neurosis. 
But instead, she believed that people's problems were the result of how they cope with life's challenges. As they dealt with every situation and relationship in their lives from a place of woundedness instead of a place of healing and authenticity. And Satir believed, Satir believed that all people are equipped with the capacity for growth and transformation. And as a result, she not only dedicated her life to helping people find their true inner selves, but she also empowered them to live more congruent, genuine lives. So, in other words, plain and simple, she saw potential in potential for people to be able to see themselves as they ought to be seen, and to heal from those psychological, emotional, physical, and even spiritual wounds. Now, you know, ironically. Authenticity is often a foreign concept to many people. I mean, on one hand, they may know all too well nothing but brokenness in their lives. You know, broken dreams or broken promises, or broken relationships, even physical brokenness. And yet, on the other hand, despite not knowing what to call it, people are attracted to genuineness and desperately want more of it in their relationships. They want that kind of authenticity. They're hungry for that acceptance and that genuineness. But you know, if the truth were told, we often approach and sustain relationships because of what we can get out of them. I mean, we may see a person and think, you know, how can they serve us? instead of how might we be able to meet them and to meet a need in them. This is always something that I explain to my clients that, uh, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, and uh, yeah, depending, you know, where you are in the world in terms of your generation, you may have seen it or maybe not. Um, yeah, it's, you know, decent movie. And, um, you know, the line I am pointing to is at the end of the movie where, Renee Zellweger's character is uh, in the living room with all, you know, her sister's friends and so forth. And it's raining outside. And I guess uh, she and her character, her, her partner, um, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, had just broken up. A fight or wasn't going to work out or something. Love him and so on and so forth. And he shows up, you know, just looking like a, uh, just a drenched rat at this point. And uh, he's standing in the middle of this uh, living room, and all eyes are on him as, uh, okay, what do you have to say for yourself? Kind of. And very tenderly, he very earnestly, he looks at Renee Zellweger, and he says the infamous lines, you complete me. And everybody at that moment is like, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful what he said. Did you hear what he said? You complete me. And that kicked off just a whole misunderstanding of what love and relationships was all about. You know, I remember sitting there watching the movie and I heard this, you complete me. And I'm thinking, said that. Because that's straight out of 
Codependency 101. You know, uh, because it's it's something, you know, when we're in relationships, and I said that, you know, truth be told, we just look at relationships and others, that of, you know, what we can get out of them. You know, and it, it's that, you know, complete me. I have something that I think I'd like, and you can complete me. So don't go changing. Because if you go changing and growing, I can't get the same thing that I always need from you. So I need you to stay dysfunctional and vice versa. It's the same thing about us. We need a just as dysfunctional aspects in order to keep getting what we need from, you know, from another person or them and us. You know, there's the codependency right there. But, you know, it's in true healthier relationships. It's not what I can get from you. But instead, it's what can I? In other words, I see something that's lacking in you, need. And I say, I know myself, I can provide you with what you need. So therefore, I can give it to you. You do not need to feel completed, but I can give it to you. In the same way, you. You might look at me and, and like, okay, I have what you need. So it's I'm I'm willing to give this to you. So it's not what I can take from you, you can take from me, but it's what we can give each other. And there's some real depth to this understanding in personal and professional relationships. Just imagine what it would be like if we just acted on this one simple truth. What can I give you? And this really brings us back to having the courage to reclaim our gifts and our graces, our strengths, our love, you know, that we come into the world with. Because these things do not necessarily belong to us exclusively. You know, we might think, oh, well, I have a great sense of humor, or oh, I have this, I have that. But it's not ours to hang on to. It's not ours to hoard to all of ourselves. They're meant to be shared because, you know, our gifts, our talents are always meant for other people so that we can be in relationships from that place of healing and wholeness instead of that place of woundedness. But we don't have to fear that what we have to give to others is ever going to be used up. Okay? Now, admittedly, looking to others for approval self-worth it appears to be a natural developing a sense of who we are okay in fact this behavior is often how we first learn about ourselves as you know little boys and girls um, you know families teachers and other early childhood authority figures also reflect their own views and mirror these perceptions back to us right, for example Long, long, long before we could form words, we're skilled at reading facial prompts, sensing another person's approval or disapproval, recognizing tones of love, laughter, anger, contentment, distinguishing between a loving or a cold detachment, even learning uh, every other emotion in between. And sometimes, 
sometime around three months of age, we begin to engage in face-to-face interactions with our parents, our caregivers. You know, it's kind of a social reference, as it were. And as infants, we display the visual, facial, and focal behaviors in, the res- in response, how we're being treated. You know, it's, it's kind of a give and take exchange between ourselves and others, typically to help us understand different situations. You know, we learn what's appropriate behavior. We learn that, uh, no, you don't want to stand up and start screaming at a referee in church. Um, you know, you want to save that if you want to you know, yell and scream and referees. You want to do that in more like a sport context. So we we start to you know read some of those signals, those norms, and as a result, you know, uh, we hold these initial interactions in the physical body as we develop a sense of trust and safety, or suspicion and and distrust. You know, from these early stages of infancy, we've learned to regulate our affect. We took the social cues from the people around us. In other words, how to express our feelings appropriately, as well as where and when, like I said, emotions have been played, whether we are at school or at play or work or family celebrations and funerals, including, say, Christmases. You know, as we are physically and emotionally mature, we're going to have to learn to become less dependent on others for this directional information and replace it with an internalized or an individual's sense of who we are. So in other words, uh, instead of looking externally to get what we need in terms of approval and acceptance, we now look within to find such qualities that resiliency, peace, and love. But again, that brings us right back to Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown was looking at the externals for some sort of uh, happiness, peace, meaning of Christmas. When we started to look in, he found it. He found it. So how do we do this? What needs to be done? Quite, quite frankly, we need to work through the parts of ourselves that are wounded. We have been hurt the most. Who has hurt us the most? Where do we struggle to find forgiveness for ourselves and in others? What do we find difficult to release in our lives because in some ways it serves as a functional space in us? And when we experience forgiveness and we're able to release the negative energy, that pain that we've been hanging on to, those aspects of ourselves that no longer serve us, we certainly tune into, let's say, higher frequencies or vibration. And think of it, I'd love this example. Think of it as a music tuner using a tuning fork by first striking the prongs and then thereby releasing a perfect wave pattern and then adjusting the sound of an instrument so that the two vibrations are in sync. That's exactly what's going on. Whenever we tune into higher frequencies or vibrations, we let go of that. And when we have let go of that, it's easier to tune in to those higher vibrations. 
But nevertheless, you know, keep in mind that just as we initially look to others for that sense of affirmation and belonging and acceptance, so too are others looking to us to receive their sense of affirmation, belonging. You know, at first glance, this exchange appears to be mutually beneficial. Yet, as I mentioned, it can also lead to codependency in all of our relationships. Because codependency is seen in unhealthy relationships, whereby one person supports or enables another person's or poor mental health or maturity, irresponsibility, insecurity, or underachievement. Just name a few. But no, the, the most common theme in codependency is this excessive reliance on others for one's approval and identity. I mean, for the most part, healing is also a matter of these generational lessons that have affected what family members have believed about themselves, as well as how these perceptions have affected their behaviors towards one another. Even if one's parents and grandparents are deceased, healing can still be achieved by understanding the dynamics of such trauma has been handed down in the family, as well as appreciating the resiliency and other character strengths family members possess. Emotional and psychological wounds are not the only thing that we may have inherited. We've also may have inherited our character strength, our gifts and skills. Those things were also handed down. You know, I once uh, read a story uh, that in certain African tribes, when someone did something wrong, they, they took the person to the center of the village where the tribe surrounded him, and for two days, they say nothing to him but all the good that he has done. See, the tribe believes each person is good, but sometimes makes mistakes, which they understand as being a cry for help. And everyone in the community unites as a people to help good nature. This is what is called Ubuntu. But can you imagine if we did this around the dinner table Christmas? Instead of complaining, gossiping, or whatever maladaptive way of relating to one another, if we all would just take the time and just say something nice to each other, reminding each other of all the good he or she has done, and that, yes, sometimes you've made mistakes, maybe even this past year, but that's okay. You're still a good person, and I appreciate you being here in your relationship with me. Just imagine if we did that today, what would that look like? Instead of burdening somebody, and by the way, ourselves, with such labels as, you know, you're lazy, you're crazy, you're stupid, that we remind the person of everything good, including the fact that they need to be reminded of the need for them to go deeper in themselves in order to find the light that has always been there. Maybe they don't know it yet. 
Now, if humans are capable of seeing and playing life-giving applications in one another, imagine how God sees it. Imagine what God would say for two whole days if God was part of that circle. We were in. What would God say? I often get annoyed still to this day at discussions around the basis what needs to be done to eradicate it. All of the discussion of how to solve this problem through better education or throwing more money away at rehab programs or building bigger prisons. Nobody really ever asked this question. What kind of pain are people in that they don't want what kind of pain are people in the field? What kind of physical pain? What kind of emotional pain? What kind of psychological pain are they in? And what kind of spiritual pain? Return to that African practice of Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a Southern African philosophy uh, deriving from culture that roughly means I am because we are. And it signifies the interconnection of all of humanity. I am because we are. Now, a South African student explains it like this. He says Ubuntu means seeing humanity in all. We're all one. Your fate is my fate. We're all siblings. Try not to think of yourself as an isolated individual, but as a drop in the ocean of humanity, a single entity. Ubuntu means kindness, humanness, hospitality to all. Ubuntu means that we must lift all of us collectively. Why do we see the concerns of the marginalized and suffering and think, at least I'm not them? Or be someone of a different race and culture or class and think, issues have nothing to do with me. Why do we see ourselves as separate? According to Ubuntu, we're not our siblings. Be not them, they, not us. Oh, no, you're not lazy, crazy, or stupid. You're beautiful. You're loved. You have gifts, talents, skills. You have a heritage. Want to, you know, wound others, filled with hatred and self-loathing. You're a soul who's come from a vast universe filled with the presence of God, and you will return there. No, you're not lazy, crazy, or stupid. This is not how God sees you. Never has. You just haven't realized. We try to make ourselves worthy of God's grace and love, but we don't realize that unconditional love has always been with us. The only thing that separates us from God is our awareness of God's unconditional love. And where there's unconditional love, there is unconditional forgiveness and peace. 
just waiting to shower us with love which we have never known or experienced before. It's time for people to trust that and believe that and walk through. To see it in themselves and to see it in others. Because when we forgive, that moment, let us do so from the perspective that the other person has yet to realize their fullness. And we need to do ourselves regarding our truth. Because yes, the truth sets us free, but freedom is often an, an intimidating stress. Most of the time we embrace negativity and love to be controlled by people who want us to be something that suits them and their unrealized truth. I've sat with many children who struggle with low to no self-esteem because they have picked up on the message that they have heard from parents, teachers, or other authority figures in their lives. So in the words of Gandhi, if you want real peace in the world, start with children. Dr. Dane Town, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. So then, be safe, behave yourselves, and may you be blessed. Merry Christmas, and have a new year. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.